Acts chapter number 9. So we have come to the, uh, I won't call it the last, but we have come to the, the third most important, if you like, aspect of leadership. And uh, we've been talking about leadership for a while. And for the purpose of title, I'll call this one the leadership of Paul. Make it simple, doesn't it? Okay. Acts chapter 9, we're going to read from verse number 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats, and murder against the disciples of the, of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether man or woman, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone from around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the the gods or the pricks, as uh, the King James says. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said to him, arise and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood as speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground and his eyes were open but he could see no one he saw no one then but he was led by the hand and brought into Damascus and he was there three days without sight neither ate nor drank amen so we know this story we know Saul who became Paul one of the greatest uh, apostles or saints, if you like. In fact, um, Saul wrote a third of the New Testament, isn't it? And uh, amongst the 13, uh, 20 epistles that were written in the New Testament, Saul or Paul wrote 13 of them. And we can say that Paul is one of the greatest um, leaders of the Christendom, if you like. Amen. And, and, and for the benefit of those who haven't been with us all this while, let me define leadership in a very short, simple, easy way. John Oswald Sanders defines leadership as influence, the ability of one person to influence others to follow his or her lead. It's what makes them a leader. Amen. If a leader shows, this is John Oswald Sanders saying that, if a leader shows strong self-leadership, others will see it and cooperate with the expectations placed on them by the leader. Leadership by example is crucial. John Maxwell says that the first person you lead is you. Amen. The first person you lead is you. And that means that all of us in this room are leaders. 
whether we like it or not. Amen. And I said to you that leadership is very important because the, the instruction Jesus gave us was that we should go into the world and make disciples of him. And how can you make disciples if you don't influence the people you are talking to? How would you be able to lead them if you don't have the skill of leadership? Amen. That is why it's crucial for us to know and acquire an amount of, of the art of leadership. And I said to you that leadership is an art, which means that it can be learned. Nobody is born a leader. Amen. Everybody can acquire the skill to lead. Hallelujah. Anything that is an art means it can be learned. Amen. Another thing that I, generally I want us to know about Paul is that he played a, leader, a very decisive role in expanding Christianity beyond the boundary of the Jews. Hallelujah. And um, he established the uniqueness of Christian, Christian theology by writing and preaching the gospel of free grace. It is Paul that taught us that we are saved by grace and not of works. Least anyone should boast. Amen. It, because the, the disciples were still teaching that if you want to be, be born again, if you want to follow after Christ, you have to be circumcised. You have to live according to the uh, details or the rules of the Jewish or Judaism and then come and follow. But Paul said, no, it's not so. Because if you look at what Jesus came to preach, he came to preach that anyone that believes him will not perish but have everlasting life. So by grace, and grace is free. Amen. But let's look at the person of Paul. The person of Paul. The first thing I want you to see about the person of Paul was that Paul was not a very handsome man. In fact, he was a very short man. He was a bald-headed man. He had a crooked leg, crooked legs. And listen to what he himself says about himself. Come with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. What has that got to do with leadership, pastor? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 7. Let's look from 7 to 10. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? This is Paul talking. <laughs> if anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ's. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed lest I seem to terrify you by letters. <laughs> Read on. For his letters, now this is not him talking. For his letters, they say, are weightier and powerful, but his bodily appearance is weak, and his speech is contemptible, which means that his tenses sometimes is not 
fall on. Okay? So, this is he, he describing himself and actually being very kind to himself. He says that bodily appearance is weak. The speech is contemptible. In fact, people when they saw um, Silas were more impressed by Silas than by Paul. And so Paul was like, if you look at um, the scriptures, it got to a point, Paul said that we didn't come by the, you know, the strength of man's speech and everything, but we came in the demonstration of power. <laughs> don't, don't, you know, before you start comparing apples with oranges, it's not about looks. It's not about how you preach. How you, you hoop and you holler and you sing and as you are preaching. That is not what makes you powerful. What makes you powerful is the demonstration. Hallelujah. Now, what has this got to do with anything? What this has got to do is that sometimes, most of the time, in fact, in 1 Samuel 16, this is uh, Samuel having a discussion with, with, with God. He saw Joab, Abinadab, all these sons of uh, uh, Jesse passing, and he thought that God had anointed one of these. But, but listen to what God says. In, uh, are, you, are you in First Samuel? From 6. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But someone said, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, but I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Hallelujah. And we know in history that great men like uh, Adolf Hitler were very, very short Slight built, not really uh, impressive looking, but they turn the world upside down. Hallelujah. And the reason why I'm saying this is that sometimes we miss out on God's anointed because we have a certain criteria in our minds as to how they must look. Are you with me? So sometimes you see that people in leadership position will have to put on certain clothes and certain rings and certain things to, to, to look the part. You know, to look intimidating for you to believe in them. But that's the wrong way of looking at leadership. Hallelujah. You don't need to look at people for their outward appearance. Look at their hearts and look at the fruits that they give. Bible, Jesus said that by their fruits, you shall know them. Not by their looks. Not by their eloquence. Because looks, you can make them up. Do you get it? See some pastors who make curls and make looks to try and enhance some things. <laughs> and it's all because we as men, we, we want to look at you as a package. I remember once I went with my pastor somewhere. And when we got there, we were standing by the door, and the, the people on stage, and, and then the pastor saw us come. So he was trying to get the attention of the ashes to usher us in. 
So here is our pastor. Then the usher just ran to me because I looked bigger <laughs> than the pastor. Because the pastor looked small and very lanky. And he was behind me. And the guy said, oh, pastor. They thought that my pastor was coming to Peter. So you go and sit here. So I said, no, 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 no. I'm not the pastor. He's the pastor. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because man looks on the out, outward. Amen. And and see, some of us, we disqualify ourselves because we look short. We are too tall. Our speech is contemptible, which means our grammar is not correct. And so because of that, we say, no, God cannot use me. Are you getting what I'm saying? But God went past all the other people, and he used Paul more than anybody, even though he looked Short. In fact, the people said that when Paul writes, he writes like a giant. But when they see him, like, ah. <laughs> like, was he the one who wrote this thing? I mean, we're afraid that we saw him. When we saw him, like, no, we will not read this thing again. <laughs> Hallelujah. And see, his letters were more powerful than himself. In fact, his, his going to visit the church was a disservice to the church. In fact, the letter would have, was, was better than, than the visit. Hallelujah. But I'm saying this to tell us that leadership is not about physical appearance. And it's not about your personal inhibitions. Hallelujah. Don't allow your personal... See, all of us have minuses on us. And if you come from where I come from, most of the time, growing up, they tease you by your shortcomings. your shortcomings. Isn't that true? They tease you, by, and, and, and so it, it, it becomes an insecurity that you carry. And if you don't take care, it will block you from getting to certain places and doing certain things that God wants to use you for. Because you will write yourself off and say that I am not qualified. Are you getting what I'm saying? And I like David. When David said that, listen, out of iniquity was I formed. I was I created. I came, you know, because we, we uh, Bible commentators believe that uh, David was not the son of the parents of the other siblings that Jesse had. Are you thinking? Jesse had maybe this last stepchild that he had from elsewhere. From somewhere. Are you with me? So when he said that bring your sons, he brought the legitimate ones and left the illegitimate one away. Are you getting what I'm saying? So David himself had his own little insecurities. And you see in the Bible that uh, when the Bible says that when David came, he was ruddy. That means that he was like albino type of. He was a ginger, ruddy, red, reddish person. L- let's look at that scripture. Go, go down, down 16. First Samuel 16. No, no, no. That, bef- that's, um, we are looking, what verse were we on? It's just a few verses down. First, first Samuel, have you found it? Verse 12. 
So he sent and brought him, and he was ruddy. That's reddish. Where I come from, they call you red. He was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. Are you with me? Now, when you, the Bible describes Saul, he says that his shoulder was above every man. Are you with me? Saul's shoulder was above every man, which means that he was, he was a big guy. King Saul. He was a big guy. That's why come his clothes were, were hanging on David, which should tell you that David was a very short and smallish guy. Are, are you getting what I'm saying? But God used David more than he used Saul. David accomplished more for Israel than Saul did. Hallelujah. So I just want you to understand that, listen, God can use you in spite of you. When I say in spite of you, do you understand what I'm saying? In spite of all your insecurities, all your inhibitions, all your weaknesses, God, does, God doesn't look. In fact, the Bible says that he specializes in our weakness. Our weakness becomes the place that he puts more so much strength. He perfects his strength in our weaknesses. Hallelujah. So don't disqualify yourself to be a leader that God will use. Don't say, I, I, I cannot speak because I, I, I'm a stammerer. Uh, you see, Moses caused a lot of problems for himself. The reason why Moses missed going to the promised land was because of the brother he brought along. Because, you know, Aaron caused more problems for Moses than anybody. He leaves him in charge. Before he comes, he has gone and helped the people to make a golden calf. Anytime Moses left Aaron in charge, trouble came. In fact, anytime you hear Mo, uh, Aaron take the lead, he goes into trouble or he does things. Every time that Moses instructs Aaron, he does the right thing. But when Aaron takes the first step, it's always wrong. And his anger was always bold because Aaron was his older brother. He was supposed to know better, but he always made a mistake. Sometimes, in your quest to try and take somebody with you to cover your, your weakness, you cause more trouble and more damage. Amen. When you are sent, go in this thy might. It's enough. I, am I talking to somebody? Don't go and pick somebody who you think is more charismatic to go with. It's that same person who will bring your downfall. I don't know whether you understand what I'm trying to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't say, oh, pastor, as for me, I can't speak English very well. God doesn't need grammar uh, students to become men and women of God. No, no, no. God can use anybody. Hallelujah. Am I talking to somebody? Okay, let's read on. Let's go back to Acts. Verse, verse uh, Acts chapter 9, we're looking at verse 10 now. Amen. Now, when they had, there was a certain disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, he said, here am I, Lord. So he said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire of the house of Judas for one called 
Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard of that guy. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he is. He has authority of the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine. Amen. So let me pause here. The next thing I want to talk about is that leaders do not appear independently. Today, I am trying to set up uh, Paul, Paul's leadership, so I'm taking my time. So that's why I'm, I'm a bit slow, so just bear with me. You see, no leader just appears from nowhere. Hey, I am Elijah the Tishbite. I came from Tishib. Nobody raised me. I am here to do miracles. It doesn't happen. Anybody who does not show you who his father is, run away from such a person. The centurion said, I am a man under authority. Therefore, I have authority. Any time you step out, they will ask, who is your father? The world will always ask you, who raised you? From where come down? What rock did you hew out of? Are, are you getting what I'm saying? You see, the Bible takes pains to talk about this, to tell you that he did not just appear and become a converted man of God and start doing miracles. Somebody held his hand. In fact, somebody laid hands on him. To receive his sight. Uh, are you getting what I'm saying? There's no leader who was born independent of help. Everybody needs somebody to help them. Your mother helped you into the world. Your mother pushed, helped you by pushing you out. And there was somebody at the other end to catch you. You didn't just fall out. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't go there. Eh? Am I free? The way you are looking at me today is like, what has happened to pastor today? Everybody comes from somewhere, and everybody had somebody lay hands on them. And you see, when you get high, don't be afraid to show who your father is or who laid hands on you. Usually the person who had laid hands on you is some small person somewhere. In fact, after this, we don't hear of Ananias very much. But without Ananias, there wouldn't be a Paul. So, Brother Paul, as you are going around doing miracles and thinking that you are great, remember that Ananias was the one who laid hands on you. So, don't be too proud. A amen. Am I talking to somebody? And learn to show respect and reverence to those that God has used to impact. Because that makes you a very solid and stable leader. In fact, we are safer following you when we know that you did not emerge out of nothing. 
but somebody helped you. Are you with me? It is safer for us to know who your father is and who poured water on you, poured oil on you. Because when you are going off, we can go and report you to him. In this day and age where prophets and men of God are appearing from nowhere without anybody laying hands on them, when they are airing and they are going off, nobody can see anything. There's nobody to report to. Yesterday, I had one, they said, one prophet said that uh, Jesus married Mary Magdalene and had five children in Rome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yesterday. <laughs> and, and you see, such a person has no restraints. There's nobody to correct him. There's nobody to put him right. And so he's going off. And I told you that when the leader makes a mistake, we have all made a mistake. And we are all punished by the leader's mistake. You see, when you make a mistake leading yourself, you carry your mistake and you get punished for your mistake. But when you are leading us and you make a mistake, we have all made that mistake and we'll all be punished for that mistake. Are you with me? When the father takes the, 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 the family, uh, what do you call it? The house. And goes to mortgage the house. And uses it to play uh, uh, casino and loses the house. We are all homeless. All of us. We didn't play the lottery. We're not part of the casino. He went by himself. But guess what? We are all sleeping in the street. How many understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so when you are following somebody, please make sure that you know who his father is. Who laid hands on him? From where the rock that he was hewn out of. So that in case there is anything going wrong, there is somebody to refer to. Even Jesus. They came and asked him, who is your father? And Jesus said, what about John? In other words, my father is John. John was the one who laid hands on me. If you have any problems, go to John. Hallelujah. Paul had some, or Saul had somebody lay hands on him. In fact, he was blind, the Bible says. And when he, Ananias laid hands on him, his eyes, the scales fell off his eyes. So the first miracle he received was through Ananias. Meanwhile, Paul is about to raise the dead in a few chapters down. He's about to do wild miracles. His, the, the, the aprons and the handkerchiefs from his body is about to heal him. Multitude of people. But before then, he himself needs help. He needs healing. And somebody has to lay hands on him. Amen. So please, as you go out as a leader and you start to do exploits, always endeavor to point out who blessed you, who laid hands on you. It doesn't make you weak. In fact, it makes you stronger. 
Are you with me? Never ever show yourself as I am Hercules. <laughs> I came from nothing. And uh, no, 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 no. Never show yourself. Always be happy to say, this is my father. Your father may be older and poorer and not as anointed. But be, be, be sure to say that this is my father. Am I talking to somebody? Are you learning something? Let's read on. Where are we? 15. But the Lord said, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, the Gentiles' kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, I'm struggling here because I, I, there are about five different things that I, need, I want to talk about here. But um, anyway, let me jump. And then verse 70 says that Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus Christ who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me to you, sent me that you may receive your sight, be filled with the Holy, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Amen. But, and so when he had received food, he was strengthened, and Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Amen. So one thing that I also want to mention here was that Ananias did not only pray for healing, but he imparted the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? So in other words, his spiritual father is Ananias. Is that okay? The next thing I want to talk about is in this scripture, verse 17, when Jesus said, no, verse 15 says that, but go, for he is my chosen vessel to bear my name before the Gentiles. Amen. And kings and children of, to the children of Israel. 16 says that, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. I told you that every leader must have a purpose. Amen. There must be a purpose. I'll talk about the mission in a little while. But the purpose is something we've already talked about. Remember, there is a purpose for God raising him. You see, anytime you don't know your purpose, ab abuse is inevitable. A lot of times, most of these uh, latter days prophets who have come have been raised by God for real. But because they haven't taken time to study, to understand their purpose, they just abuse it. Because when you don't have a purpose, anything you find, the first thing that comes into your hand becomes a purpose. When money comes into your hand, it becomes a purpose. When fame comes into your hands, it becomes a purpose. When uh, women comes into your hands, it becomes a purpose. When uh, properties come into your hands, it becomes a purpose. 
But you realize that every leader, every man of God that is raised, there is a purpose. He says that, go, for I will show him how much he thinks he has to suffer. He is the one who is going to bear my name to the Gentiles. And we know that he is the one who opened the door for the Gentiles to come in. All of us came in through the door that he opened. In fact, he had to argue with Peter and Co. And put them right. Because they, Peter and Co. Were, were nervous of the Gentiles being, becoming born again. Hallelujah. Am I talking to somebody? So, what is your purpose? Ask your, your neighbor that question. What is your purpose? It's easier to ask somebody, what is your purpose? Okay, ask yourself, what is my purpose? Why has God raised you for such a time as this? Why has God brought you here? What does God want from you? Are you just here by accident? Are you just here because you, you just came to school and you happened to, you were looking for a church and you found yourself sitting here and, and just by accident? No, no, no. You see, if you think that way, you will never ever achieve what God wants you to achieve. Am I talking to somebody? Yeah. There's always a purpose. And you must find it. Paul says that. This one thing I do, forgetting the things that are behind me, I press on towards the price of the mark of the high calling that I may apprehend the purpose for which I was apprehended. There's a reason why I've been apprehended. I need to understand and find out what is the reason. Because you see what, you will be judged by the purpose. Not by any other thing. Remember the, the, the householder who was going and he gave talents. When he gave talents to the servant, he said, occupy till I come. And when he came, he said, it's time for you to reckon with me as to what you have used my talent for. So anything that is given to you is not given by accident. Hallelujah. We are not here by accident. God has called us here for, for a reason. Amen. And you see, it will be your, in your best interest, it will be in my best interest to understand why God has called us. So that we can fulfill purpose. Amen. Life is about purpose. Amen. You see, God is a businessman. Can, 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 you see, God is a businessman. And see, every businessman is not in business for fun. There is always a reason. Are you getting it? Sometimes the reason is not necessarily profit. Sometimes the reason is to meet a need. Sometimes the reason is to give out, to also give to society. Are you getting what I'm saying? There's a, what's this guy's name? Uh, this computer guy, Bill Gates. He started an um, NGO that is trying to eliminate malaria from Africa. Can you tell me that is for profit? It's not. Are you with me? There is a purpose for his. And you see, God has probably, the whole purpose of his life was to do this one thing. And for him to be able to do that one thing, 
God needs him to become very wealthy so that he has enough money, enough resources, enough uh, uh, know-how and manpower and everything to eradicate malaria from Africa. And so first thing God does is to give him the wealth. But if he didn't know his purpose, as soon as he got the wealth, I have a right. I set out in business to become rich. Now I'm the richest man in the world. So my soul, you have, take, you have had enough stored for many years. Take your ease. Eat, enjoy, and sleep. Bible saying God said that thou fool, today thy soul will be required out of because you don't know that all this money I gave you was not for fun. I gave it to you so that you would do what I want you to do. There's a purpose for it. Hallelujah. There was a purpose for his conversion. Of all the people, he was not the only one on the road to Damascus. He was not the only one that had been charged by the high priest to go and arrest people. He was one of many people. I mean, because you can't get one person riding on a horse. He's going to Jerusalem to arrest uh, 100 Christians and put them in chains and drag them all the way to, to, to uh, uh, Sheffield on a horseback by himself. Are you crazy? No, there has to be a large crowd. Isn't it? Yeah, to do that. So there were a lot of people. But he chose him. Because he had a reason for choosing him. Listen, there's a reason why God has chosen you. There's a reason why you are sitting where you are sitting today. It's not by accident. There's a reason why you're hearing what I'm saying to you today. It will be, it will be in our best interest to find out why God has called us. To find out why God brought us here. Amen. What is God looking for from me? What does he want me to do? You see, if Saul, who became Paul, immediately just gets up and then goes to join the Christians in Jerusalem and they start and they continue in the apostles' doctrine, breaking bread in fellowship in houses. Remember that? In houses from house to house and the Lord added to their number. They are being saved and they are having party. He has joined the church and he's just there. And it's just there. Do you know that he would have died and God would not have been happy with him? Even though he was a Christian, he was an active member of the church. He, had, he was active, but he never met, met his purpose. Amen. Could it be that there's another purpose for your life and you haven't met it as yet? <laughs> Hello? Are you, are you okay with what I'm saying? Could it be that there's a purpose and you haven't touched it? He says, I will show him how much he has to suffer. And he's not going to suffer in vain. He's going to suffer by opening the door for the Gentiles to come in. Because I need the Gentiles. Jesus said that other disciples that do I have than this. I believe that Jesus was talking about the Gentiles. And Jesus had in his mind that one day these ones will have to be brought in. And the one who was going to be bringing them in is Paul. So he saved him from the rest of the bunch. 
And he put him there to the road of Damascus. And he placed Ananias where he placed Ananias. You see that when Paul started preaching in Jerusalem, the people that he came with, they realized that this guy has now started preaching with these people. So they organized that they wanted to catch him. Now the hunter has become the hunted. So they put him in a basket and they lower him down on the side of the wall. And then he runs away from Damascus to Jerusalem. And then when he gets to Jerusalem, there's a problem. Because the people still feel that this thing, this guy, this conversion that he says he has converted, we are not very sure about this thing, whether it's true or not. It may be a trick. <laughs> oh, where is it? <laughs> so, they are like, look at verse 26. Let's go down to 26. And so, Saul came to Jerusalem, and he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him. And they did not believe that he was a disciple. Said, no, this guy, <laughs> we are not sure. This change that this person left here a few weeks going to catch some more Christians to come and kill them. And then he comes back. He says, Now I'm preaching with you. Hey, it could be a trap. Verse 17. Uh, 27, sorry. But Barnabas took his hand. And brought him to the disciples. For every Paul, there must be a Barnabas. A leader must have help. Every leader needs help. And you see that Barnabas helped Paul throughout. Always by his side. A leader. You see, the, the word Barnabas is the word... Includer. He was the one who always wanted to include people. The one who loves and wants to pull many in. Hallelujah. So Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and had spoken to him and how, was Barnabas there when this thing was happening? <laughs> and how he had preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And, and the people said, used to say, Barnabas, this guy is on you. If he turns right now, we will blame you. Because you brought him. We are watching him very, very carefully. You remember I told you last week that a leader always has people outside who are watching and people who are inside who are also... Remember? We are watching him all. As he's going in and out, we are not very sure about what he's doing. If anything goes wrong, we'll blame you. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming and going. Amen. Verse 29. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and disputed against the Hellenists, 
but they attempted to kill him. Amen. So, to cut a long story short, this guy has been brought in by, remember I said there is always a, an Ananias who lays hands on you. And there's also a Barnabas who helps you. Every leader needs a Barnabas. Never try attempt to lead by yourself. Some of us, we are so insecure. I do my own thing. I lead by myself. Have you seen those type of people? Oh, you are not minding me. It's like, oh, I want you to lead this team to clear this place, weed this whole place. By the time you realize he has done the job by himself, and then left everybody. No. Leadership is not about completing a task necessarily. Leadership is about helping others to complete a task with you. I said to you that Abraham helped Lot. Remember, he helped Lot to the top to become wealthy. You need to help others. A Barnabas is there not for fame. He is there to prop you. Remember I said to you, you are as good as the weakest help you have. I don't care how strong a leader, how strong you are, and how gifted you are. You are as good as the weakest help you have. Because leadership is a team sport. How many remember we said that? Leadership is about team. Without a team, you're not a leader. You're taking a walk. So every, every leader has a team. And make sure that you are, allow the team to help you. Sometimes our insecurity makes us not uh, allow the people around us to help us very well. Uh, I don't know whether you understand what I'm saying. See, I'm the pastor. I'm the one who's anointed. I'm the one who has to do visitation. Okay, go ahead and do all the visitation by yourself. Go ahead and do the preaching by yourself. Go ahead and do the counseling by yourself. Go ahead and do all the uh, administration by yourself. You are killing yourself and you don't even know. Your leadership is a team sport. So you have to enable everybody around you to get into their own so that they will be able to help you very well. You see that Jesus took his time to train the disciples very well so that they enabled him by working with him around. At the point, he, he sits at one place and he sends them two by two, going to the city that he himself is about to go, but he sends them ahead. Go and do the work. Go and try. When you fail, I will come and do the correction. But it's okay, you go. So as you are going, Barnabas, don't think that you are going on your own strength. Though. Are you getting it? So just as Paul has to be careful to allow Barnabas to hold his hand, otherwise they'll kill him. <laughs> Barnabas, don't also think that you are holding Paul's hand, so you are now... I don't know whether you understood what I was trying to say. But how many will agree with me that even the best of leaders, best of human beings, there's always our own uh, uh, 
I call it idiosyncrasies, idiotic sinews inside of us always comes to the fore. That also means that all of us have our foolish parts. All of us have our mistakes. So sometimes we make mistakes. And some of the mistakes we make as leaders, we have already discussed, can be fatal. Now, as time goes on, we will see that something happens. An argument breaks out between Paul and Barnabas. We said Barnabas is the includer. Barnabas doesn't see any wrong in any person. Have you seen those type of people? Everybody's, everybody's good. They bring everybody in. Have you seen it? Like, we are, we are, this is our little girls club. We have five friends or three friends. We are best friends. Then there's always a Barnabas type of person who's always going to bring one person to come and add to that group. How many know what I'm talking about? How many have seen that? Always bringing, trying to enlarge the, the, the club that we have, exclusive club. That is Barnabas. So, as we're going, Barnabas brought his little cousin, young boy, called Mark, to join the group. Remember from here, let me continue the story. From here, as the people were not very happy with uh, uh, Saul, uh, Paul and they wanted to kill him, Paul and Barnabas decided that it's the time for us to go out of Jerusalem. And that was the first missionary, apostolic missionary trip they took. I'll come back to the missions in a little while, but let's move on. So they move on, and as they kept going and everything, Barnabas goes to bring John Mark into this exclusive club of two. Two missionaries, two pastors going out to win souls and establish churches. Then it happens that in chapter 15, let's go to 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back to visit our brethren in the, cities, in the city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. I told you that's his nature. He's an includer, isn't he? But Paul insisted that, nah, they would not take this particular guy with them. Because, you see, there's something happened in chapter 13. Chapter 13, when they are on the, the same first missionary trip, so this is about the beginning of the second missionary trip. They're about to, no, the third, this is the third missionary trip. The, the second missionary trip they were going, John Mark was part. He got to a place that said, I won't go again. <laughs> he said, Listen, this, this nonsense type of trip, we are going round and round and circles. I'm tired, I won't go again. <laughs> go to Acts chapter 13, verse 13. Now, when Paul and his party had sailed from Paphos, they came to Pega and Pamphylia. And John, 
departed from them, returning to Jerusalem. I'm tired of this. Run, 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 run. I've been living from suitcase to suitcase. I want my wardrobe. I want my own bed. Every day I'm sleeping in different places. What is all this? And even when we're preaching, they are not even some of them are sleeping whilst we are preaching. Listen, this is a foolish trip. I'm going. So he took off and left. And now chapter 15, chapter 15, 36, Barnabas is determined to take him again. I said, no, 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 no. No, go, we have gone past 37. Barnabas was determined to take John Mark. Move on. But Paul insisted that this guy won't come with us. Remember how he departed from Pamphylia. And I'm not going with us to do the work. Now that we have, the work has been done, and we are going to supervise and celebrate with them, because now the church has already been established. How many will agree with me that when the church is being established, it's harder? But once the church is established, and it's, why are you looking at, <laughs> why are you looking at Pastor William? Listen, Dorothy, be very, very careful. Dor- no, Dorothy is looking at Pastor William as if, you, we said you should go. You didn't go. You left in Pamphylia. <laughs> now you are looking at him. <laughs> what, was he not one of the people who were supposed to go with you? And she, she left you at Pamphylia. Uh, you see, they are, they are in the church. Have you seen? This is a good example of John Mark. Now the church has been established. The church is established. Now that we are going to visit. How many know that when the pastor who has established the church is coming to visit after the church has been very nice? Because the church already, it's like as soon as you're, you're waiting, you're waiting. I remember once I, I arrived in South Africa. When I arrived, the pastor was in suit. The lady pastor was in suit. All of them were in suit. And they were coming to welcome me. And I was in uh, my jersey. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they had three cars. Wow. And they put me in the middle, one in front, one in the, wow. behind, and I'm in the middle. And I felt very powerful. Because <laughs> the church has already been established. And we're just going to visit. It's very powerful. Now you want to add this guy. Now that we are going to get more fame, you want to add this guy. This guy is not coming. You know, Paul was very choleric and very, as for Paul, what he thinks he says, he doesn't have time for. <laughs> so, let's go on. Next verse. The contention became so sharp that they parted ways. So Barnabas took John Mark and went to Cyprus. You see that Cyprus and all those places were the first missionary trip. Then the other place, next verse. Paul sailed to, chose Silas and they departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. Next verse. And they went to Syria and Turkey, strengthening the church. So he went on like took the route of the second missionary trip and Barnabas and Mark took the first missionary trip route 
Unfortunately, this is the last we hear of Barnabas. Are you with me? Sometimes contentions in church hurts many good people. Are you with me? Now, Paul and Silas are becoming, going to become great. And as time goes on, Paul is going to realize how he, what he did was not good. And he will go, he's going to tell Timothy that when you are coming, please bring me John Mark. For he's useful. He's profitable for the ministry. This is the same person who said he didn't want. <laughs> you see, one thing about leadership is when you make a mistake, own up. A lot of us as leaders, when we make a mistake, we are not very, very, we, we are not, we don't have, find the strength to say that I was wrong and correct the mistake that we make. Because we feel that the people will notice our weakness and see our mistake and they won't have that same respect for us as they did before. But that is not true. That is not true. That makes you human. And that makes you even more endearing. Because people now know that they can trust you. Because you are just like me. You can also make a mistake. And when you make a mistake, you are able to own up. Hallelujah. And you see, there was another guy who also had a servant called Onesiphorus. Now, Onesiphorus, <laughs> Onesiphorus left his master. Ran away from his master's uh, church. And found his way to come and join Paul. And Paul, after restoring Onesiphorus, said, I'm sending you back to your master. Because I've seen this before. John Mark left me. And I was very angry. When he came back, I did not receive him. But then later on, I realized that I was the one who lost out. Because my best friend, Barnabas has now gone to thin air. So, please, don't make this mistake with Onesiphorus. So he said to, he said to the, the man that, listen, take him as a favor to me. Remember how you owe me your very life because you almost died. I prayed for you to come back to life. So take it as one of the favors I'm asking you. Take back Onesiphorus. When you make a mistake as a leader, say, listen, I'm wrong. And correct it. Let people see you are correcting it. Are you getting it? Yeah. Don't make a, lead, a, a, a mistake and just, oh, it's, it's one of those things. It's not one of those things. Amen. Another lesson that we must learn is that even our weaknesses, God uses our weaknesses whether somebody's right or wrong, to make things work eventually for us. Amen. Are we okay? All right. Do you have any questions? Anybody with any questions? Let's say in the case of a family, um, maybe parents, you have found that there's, there seems to be a certain um, repetition of maybe one of your parents not wanting to own up when things get wrong <laughs> and 
you find it difficult in any situation when you feel like there's any impending mistake that they are going to make. Mm. Um, this, this relationship is supposed to be an enduring relationship. How can you be sti still be helpful when sometimes you feel like something can go wrong and I want to be helpful by suggesting something, but then this is a very good person, but who naturally has this proclivity to um, not take certain um, suggestions because you are like nobody to them or something like that? If I understand your question correctly, um, you are subordinate, the person is high up. Yes, sir. Like a father figure yes, and you are a son. And uh, it's not your place to say, listen, what you are doing is wrong. Yes, please. You can, you can um, pray and you can find a way to suggest. Oh, how, how, what about this other uh, alternative option? Have we looked at it? You know, without coming out as, I know better than you. You, you, you get it? You can do that. And um, I always say it's not what you say, it's how you say it that's important. You can say to somebody, you're a fool, and they'll say thank you. You can say to somebody, you don't have sense, and they'll never talk to you again. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So it's not how, what you say, it's how you say it. So you can always present, because remember, you're also being put there by God to help. Do you, you get it? So one of the ways to help is by making suggestions. Where does self-reliance play in leadership? I, I think that when it comes to self-reliance, when you overemphasize it, it can bring you down because it gives you that sense of, I'm my own man, I'm my own person. So as soon as it becomes your main focus, it, sh it should be there in the day of challenge. So where help disappoints, you should still, it absorbs the season of no help, but it shouldn't be that even when there's help, you are so self-reliant that you won't take good help. But sometimes help can sort of John Mark, you know, it doesn't mean you don't continue on the mission, but it shouldn't be what you thrive on or what you live on, that because I can do it, I'm not gonna take help because then you wear out quickly. And we, don't, we, don't, we take help not because we cannot do it, we take help because we can do better because the Bible says two are better than one. Mm. When you're a leader, you make mistakes. You have to own up. Is it always about like outrightly speaking out and like owning up, or you can own up through like your actions? Yes, own up through your actions, and also let don't be afraid to let the people know that I made a mistake here, because it makes them even have more confidence in you. It's not just owning up by saying, but you have to act what you're saying as well. Like you put somebody in the wrong position, own up by sucking the person. 